0: Baker and this is the Everybody Eats Hubcast.
1: Mark, what exactly is a Hubcast?
0: Hubcasting is curated content by Impact Hub DC, a community of social change makers in the nation's capital. Everybody Eats highlights the stories of innovators and agitators fighting for food equality for all. Jan, why is this topic so important?
1: So, Mark, everyone, regardless of socioeconomic status, deserves equal access to quality food. Growing disparities, gentrification, and the changing demographic in Washington D.C. have barred some from access to nutritious food in the Washington D.C. area and many urban communities around the country. As a matter of fact, keep me honest, Mark. There isn't um, less than two grocers in Ward Seven. Is that correct? Correct. Food is the lifeblood of every community, influencing enterprise, policy, and the use of civic spaces.
0: Today, we're at the Wilful Tree, Tree Farm in beautiful Warrenton, Virginia. And we're joined by Tom McDougall of 4P Foods and Jesse Strait, um, the Riffle Trees head farmer. How
2: Welcome you doing, guys? Good. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for being here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, so we're going to share the microphones here. So um, for you guys who are listening, we are in a refurbished carriage. Um, uh, Jesse, where are we?
2: Sure, yeah. This is the carriage museum. So the matriarch of the farm who had the farm, I think it's like the thirties to the seventies was a real character, Viola Windmill, and she collected antique carriages. So she built this, um, and I understand oftentimes she added onto it without her husband knowing. <laughs> uh, now now the carriages are in um, a museum in Leesburg, Morven Park, nice. but we still get to have the museum.
0: Well, this is a beautiful space, and it's a beautiful space um, in in the rural, in a rural area where you guys are conducting business. Um, So Jesse, first let's start with you. Um, Tell us a little bit about your business um, and tell us a little bit about why you do what you do.
2: Sure, so um, we are a farm that raises animals. So we do um, chicken, eggs, turkeys, pork, and beef. Uh, We raise everything on fresh pasture. We don't use any chemicals, we don't use any antibiotics, any hormones, any genetically modified grains, and our beef is 100% grass fed. So that's sort of the, the short uh, skinny on what we do and how we do it. Um, and then you were asking, sort of, why? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or, why do you do this? Yeah. So um, I guess without sort of getting into the, the autobiography, um, the immediate why we do it is because um, we think this is the right way to raise food that's both healthy for the land, the animals, the people who eat food. Us, the farmers and our families, and then our community of Warrenton slash Fauquier County. Um, so, um, and sort of that, coupled with the fact that um, we think the conventional food system is uh, not doing as good as a, as good of a job as it should, and so we're hoping to fill need uh, a need there.
0: Was this a horse uh, farm? Yes, um, this
2: is sort of like Horse Central. Uh, countryside here, okay. so uh, you know thoroughbreds and fox hunting, so racing and, and hunting basically, um, and we're sort of the hillbillies of the neighborhood in that we're you know we got you know pigs and chickens and um, but I think we're pretty nonetheless well liked because people like the the farm being used and improved and you know not being developed and but um, so
0: it looks like a community of farmers out here.
2: Um, there definitely are, you know, Falkier is still an agricultural county. Um, but, um, you know, like in our, like just immediate geographical area, there's not like a lot of people doing what we're doing. Um, so the more would be like horse people still or grain, like you probably saw drunk on the driveway. There's all those soybeans there. So, you know, people are doing corn and soybeans. And then there's people that are doing some beef, but even that is, like, diminishing uh, in as opposed to just cutting hay or growing grains or the horse thing.
0: And when did you guys take over this farm, this particular land? So, uh,
2: our business started in 2009 at a smaller farm about 20 minutes from here. Um, and then we moved here in 2012. Okay. Yeah.
0: Wow. So, yeah. why here?
2: Uh, well, my uh, parents bought the farm in 2011. So the arrangement is we own the house we live in here, this Rambler, and then we rent the land from my family. That's uh, kind uh, of how friend. that's set up, yeah.
0: Wow, very yeah. interesting. So you're, so you're, your family, you come from a line of farmers? No, no.
2: see, I, I grew up like a normal suburban kid. Uh, farming was like not on the radar. After high school, after college, I've been, I graduated from UVA in religious studies and pre-med. So clearly, like, (laughs) I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Um, And, um, yeah, so it was only sort of reading books after college that got me interested in it. And I just sort of kept reading more books, visiting farmers, uh, and uh, kind of pursuing it more. Let me kill the radio.
1: Jesse, do you think yeah. you're changing the per- the perception of farming? I mean, when you think of farming, number one, we're only an hour outside of Washington, D.C. When you yeah. think of farming, you might think of uh, rolling hills in the middle of the country. Um, and you might think of a pretty much a, a, a white guy with coveralls and, and a, a big hat. But you're a pretty well uh attractive and you've hey, got hey. <laughs> you and you're in shape what is a perception? How do you change the perception of, <laughs> it's <all> good, like.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'll make sure my wife hears this yeah. shout, out, shout out to
1: the wife happy anniversary so tell me uh how do you change the perception of farming today
2: um i don't know if i want to be so grandiose but maybe in little ways mm-hmm. um you know for the people that we are around and affect uh, you know our interns and, you know, maybe there's, you know, local family friends mm-hmm. or people in high school who might have a second thought, like maybe rather than like, you know, doctor, lawyer, whatever, you know, might think, hey, I'm a hardworking, smart, ambitious person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a farmer. Um, so I would be really proud if, you know, um, if people had those thoughts because of what they saw we're doing here. And of course, that's our goal, just in the sense that we want to do what we're doing really well. And so hopefully that is inspiring. All that being said, you know, we have plenty of room to improve and, uh, you know, plenty of flaws like everyone else and all the other businesses out there. But, um, yeah, I, I hope I hope that in that we're doing good work, we're inspiring people.
1: Cool. So it's a work in progress. So tell us about yeah. the, the process of getting food from the farm to the table.
2: Yeah. So um, I guess, you know, in that we are not just farmers, mm-hmm because you know we don't we're not sort of wholesalers we're not like set a contract with purdue and the purdue truck comes and takes all of our animals away and and we wipe our hands and we go back to the fields right. we do it start to finish which we're direct marketing so that means a part of our business is uh, letting potential customers know we exist what we do and why we do it and why it's compelling mm-hmm. um, such that they would you know swerve away from the strip mall grocery store and come to us um, so, uh, that means we're out there trying to educate people about the benefits of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, and trying to get the word out there. And then when it, someone actually wants to buy from us, helping them in our farm store, or we do these delivery drop sites where people order on our website and we have meetup spots from Maryland down to Fredericksburg and Charlottesville. Cool. Um, so, and then, you know, always kind of keeping, um, our radar on in terms of restaurants that might be interested in our stuff. So mm-hmm. calling up chefs and owners and general managers mm-hmm. and bringing samples by and pitching them on, again, what we do and why we think we do it so well and why they would also thrive if, <laughs> in collaboration with us. Oh. <laughs> so this is sort of the, the chick setup, um, And this is actually a mixture of both turkeys and chickens. These are our baby turkeys, which will be for ready for Thanksgiving. Um, so you can kind of see this here is a turkey with a longer head and it's got a little bump that's going to be a little noodle that grows off its, you know, top of its head. Um, would you girls like to hold a baby turkey? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you said no, no. Okay. Yeah, here you go. If you just, basically you just want to make them feel safe, that you're not going to drop them. You don't want obviously want to squish them, but make them feel safe. You're not going to drop them, so kind of cup them and their feet can kind of be ticklish. Take your hands and wrap it around like that. There you go. How old are they? So that's that's a turkey. I'll show you a chick. So here's a baby chicken. You can kind of see the difference a little bit. No, she's scared. See how, like, the, the it's, a, it's a shorter neck, mm-hmm. and it's not as brown. It doesn't have a little bump on its right there.
1: Jesse, how many um, do you have to, I guess, raise for Thanksgiving, do you think?
2: Uh, we have about 900 turkeys here. Okay. Yep. okay.
1: How do people find out that you're selling turkeys?
2: Through um, things like this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, this yeah. is a glorious sales pitch. Yeah, that's right, yeah. No, it's, we don't do any marketing, so it's all just word of mouth. And, you know, our, our ambition is, is to do things so well that people will want to talk to their friends about it. So word of mouth. Word of mouth. And then, I, you know, where, like, social media stuff, yeah. email, okay. and then, like, whatever chance I can to get in front of people to tell them why this kind of farming is good, right. I'll take it. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so. So in here you can kind of see... So like um, to get farming on you, um, probably like our most fundamental principles of our farm are to do right by everything that we touch, which means both the land, the animals, the people who eat the food, ourselves and families and our community. So that's like, you know, number one starting point It's kind of like do the right thing. You know, that's pretty basic. Um, And then two is to really pay attention to how nature works. So you can kind of come at farming in two different ways, or uh, at least these two ways. Um, One being that you impose your model onto how nature works. Unfortunately, biology is not so easily simplified like a factory system. So you kind of butt your head up against, um, uh, you know, you butt your head against how nature works, and you're going to have repercussions. And that's why you need Band-Aid fixes like antibiotics and chemical wormers and all that kind of stuff. So rather than doing that, we try and pay attention to how nature flourishes and of course we're not in the business of raising wildlife, we're actually in the business of raising food. But that being said, we can approximate those systems such that um, our animals thrive naturally and we don't need things like antibiotics and, our, and our, you know, our animals and our land are all the healthier for it and therefore our customers are. Um, Is your motto um, the most cost effective? Well, that's a, that's a tricky question because it kind of depends on how you do your accounting. You know, so, um, like, this is a, like a, and I'm sure we're going to keep getting into this, but um, basically, uh, if you take into account all the costs, and you don't sort of push any under the carpet then I would say ours is by far the most cost-effective way to farm. If you're willing to sort of like shrug off costs to other people and thereby basically exploit people, say like the illegal aliens who are processing chickens, or um, say the farm workers who are sort of indentured servants of the major corporations, um, if you, or you exploit the land by poisoning it, or you exploit uh, the animals by disrespecting them, um, or you exploit the, exploit the communities that, you know, have stinky, pollutant farms that decrease their land values and make it a poor place to live. So basically, if you're not willing to exploit and take advantage of people or, you know, exploit the future generations that have to clean up the Chesapeake Bay or have to clean up the Mississippi Delta or whatever it is, you know, then it is, yeah. And, and also, if you're thinking about, like, okay, great, we can do this for the next 50 years, but our topsoil depletion in the Midwest is going faster than we're replacing it so it's not a long-term plan it's a short-term plan so you know if you want to talk about sort of holistic accounting then yes
1: since some of our um, listeners are new to food issues can you tell our our listeners that everybody eats why antibiotics are bad and what do they do to your body
2: yeah so you know basically we ourselves our human bodies are biological systems Mm -hmm. which thrive with bacteria you know that's an essential it's not like a foreign part of us actually bacteria is a synergistic part of how we function in a healthy way. So to sort of blanket, you know, kill our bacteria is not is clearly not how we were made to work. So just in terms of human health, antibiotics are great for crisis situations. You know, you're having like open heart surgery, you need to not get a staph infection while you're doing that, et cetera. Awesome, that's great. I'm so happy for the antibiotics in those situations. But they have to be reserved for those kinds of situations. Because um, just on an on a, uh, ongoing basis, you know, we need all those bacteria to, to function properly. Um, then the other thing about sort of using antibiotics with, with uh, farm animals um, in non-crisis situations um, or in as sort of band-aid fixes for basically bad systems um, is um, you every time you use an antibiotic, there's uh, bacteria that are resistant to that antibiotic and so those are the ones that stay alive and they thrive and replenish so you kill all the ones that are sort of low-hanging fruit bacteria but all the sort of superbugs stay alive and multiply so you're basically uh, you've created a sort of perfect breeding ground for superbugs which then decrease the effectiveness of antibiotics for when we really need them like say when a cow is like has a horrible infection and you need to like save her life or again like you know, when you're having surgery and you need to have a sterile, you know, non-bacterial environment. Um, so it's like, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, it's easy to sort of like um, dismiss people like me as sort of like technology haters and stuff like that, and that's not the case. Like really, I think antibiotics are great in their right um, sort of use, and if we don't use them properly, then uh, they won't be effective, and, and not only that, it won't be we good it seems so like you're yeah, not a happy
1: medium with technology. you don't use uh, traditional marketing, but you do use social media.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have sort of my you know my reservations about those kinds of things, which I'm sure it would be boring to get into right now. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean basically our whole point is to approximate nature. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to use fancy electric fencing that wasn't invented 15 years ago, mm-hmm to approximate moving birds and animals on a regular basis across pasture, like they would in nature, Mm -hmm. then great. Like I'm all for it. Um, so it's kind of whether it's serving the end of approximating nature or not Mm -hmm. when it comes to like farming practices. So on that score in here, what I was going to get into here is what we're trying to do here is to approximate what uh, a mother Turkey or mother hen would do, which is keep their chicks warm, dry, safe, and clean. So every day we add fresh bedding here, which absorbs their uh, nutrients they're putting out their back end. We're you know giving them clean feed. We're cleaning out their water over here. We've got these heat lamps so they can kind of self-regulate and go in and out of the, the warmth as they need it. Um, and then by doing that, and a couple of different things happen. So again, this is a, a situation where we're approximating nature. Um, if you keep their bedding clean, then that means they're not going to be mucking around their own manure as much, which means that's less stress on their immune system, which means you're not... You don't, you don't need antibiotics because they have an immune system that's be, not being overly taxed like you would in a confined house where they're constantly mucking around in their own manure. The other thing is what's coming out of their back end, as it turns out, is really wonderful for the soil. So, like, again, wow, nature is incredible. Like, what comes out of the back end and is what's good for what, when it hits the ground. This is beautiful. Who thought of this, you know? <laughs> I can't believe I just stumbled across this. Um, so, um, so to that end, like, if you don't capture it with this carbonaceous, bedding. Um, so the nitrogen is really volatile and you have to have a lot of carbon to, to bond with it. Otherwise it goes into the air as ammonia which can then actually burn their lungs and cause health problems. But also like if you were to go to the local co-op and try and buy some nitrogen uh, fertilizer it costs you a lot of money. It's a fossil fuel based um, fertilizer. So why are we wasting it? We shouldn't. So we capture it here then uh, we put it in our compost pile, compost it and then put it back on the pastures. So, you know, again, nature doesn't waste things because, and that's again, what we're trying to do here. We don't want to waste these valuable nutrients and then doing what we have to do to not waste them and then doing what we do to have to keep them clean and their immune system not taxed, they all go together. So you'll kind of see like, we'll probably get into this several different ways, but you'll see when you start to approximate nature, things health-wise spiral upwards. And if you try and butt your head against you can say, no, 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 I want to do it where I cram as many birds in here. We never move them. I don't, you know, right. care about how nature works. You're going to sort of spiral downwards. You're going to have, oh, then now you have increased cost of antibiotics. Now you have superbugs. Now you have, you know, high, uh, higher mortality on your chickens. Now you have food that's not as healthy for the people eating it. Now you have farming systems that are harmful to illegal aliens and the, the farm owners. Now you have rural communities that are collapsing because, you know, it's an economic system that's taking advantage of them. So, like, you can kind of see, like... You start going down that wrong path, uh you know everything will fall apart eventually
0: well um, is your love for farming is that inspired by um, nature, how nature works um?
2: yeah, I mean I think um I don't know i guess uh, yeah, I think my my love for farming pr- probably in a large way does come is, is part that wanting to have that connection to things Mm -hmm. and to have a connection to how the world is in its reality. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, you can, you can have that kind of desire in life and, and do lots of different kinds of work. I guess mine for a number of different reasons came out in farming, but you know, if you're, if you're wanting to pursue what's true, good and beautiful, uh, you can certainly do that in farming and in a way that's very tangible and, and satisfying because you can see, you know, uh you can see affirmation of what you're doing immediately. Mm-hmm. Like when I move the turkeys to fresh pasture, they are make they make this happy noise. It's like this trill, it's like and they're head down just eating grass, eating grass. And I know, like basically they're just patting me on the back saying, Good job, Jesse, keep do keep it up, you know. Um, so I get affirmation from, you know, thousands of animals every day telling me like good job, buddy, you know, that feels really great. And that's really encouraging, you know, like a lot of people do jobs that don't get that kind of affirmation Mm -hmm. and they got to keep plugging away. And so in some ways I kind of feel like I, I got a, I got a nice gig here. I'm spoiled Mm -hmm. that way. And also even maybe more um, compelling is, you know, the animals telling you that they like what you're doing, but then even more so would be the land. So when I move those chicken shelters and I look back and I see 20 days back where the shelter was before, and I see the grass is really thick and lush and beautiful, and I can see that stark line from where the shelter was and where it wasn't, and how where it was, the grass is three inches taller and thicker and greener, and that's the land doing the same thing, telling me, like, good job, Jesse, we like what you're giving me, Um, so... um,
1: So we can do a parallel to that, right? If you're putting good food into your body, it does change your mood. You say it's the same thing with the turkeys.
2: Yeah. No, I think it's definitely true, and I mean, uh, you know, I think we all have experiences where we're not eating well. Maybe we're just not eating at all. We're working so hard, we're like skipping meals, and then you're like starving, and you're down in like donuts or something. You know, sugar and white flour, and you, you know, you're grumpy and you don't have energy, and uh, so you know, yeah, you know, our bodies are biological systems too that that respond to how they're treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The
3: other thing I think is interesting that the listeners can't pick up on right now. But we're in a barn with hundreds of little animals right here. If you take a whiff. Yeah, it's cool. Smells it's, great. Yeah, yeah, you would smell even miles away from a factory farm. Yeah, right. you smell it a long ways coming. And that again mm-hmm.
2: is a sign that we're appropriately metabolizing those nutrients. Mm-hmm. If you if you smell something, that means you're losing nutrients. Um, so you know. Uh, and again, your neighbors are going to like it if they're not smelling you downwind too. So again, it's, it's one of those things where like, if you do things the right way, not only does your farm, you know, benefit and the people eat your food, but also you're a better neighbor and you're, you know, a place where people would actually want to bring their family to have a picnic and, Mm -hmm. you know, see the animals and it's not, you know, uh, distasteful.
1: Or stay because you have a property on your, um, avoc- that, you that's, farm, right, yeah. and you that's right, yeah. You can say that's
2: right, yeah. Um, um yeah, so that's there. kind of the, the chicks there. Um, <laughs> oh, we can put the chicks back, we, or did we? Yes, yes. yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you definitely have an advocate with Tom um, McDougall. Um, he's, um, so just for our listeners to know how this connects back to DC. Um, Tom McDougall um, operates out of the Impact Hub, um, 4P Foods, and he actually introduced us to Jesse. And Tom, can you talk a little bit about your business and your relationship with Jesse? And could you also answer the question of why us, those of us who live in urban environments, should care about farms like Wiffle Tree and care about sustainable farming practices?
3: Yeah, sure. I I think I'll I'll start with the why uh, and then go back to the what and and the relationship that we now have. Uh, The why really is because our our current food system in many ways is unjust. It lacks equity, it lacks racial equity, gender equity, class equity, uh, any and all forms. And and this really is not just isolated within our food system. This is, in fact, a symptom of other broken systems that just happen to manifest itself in a way that... Food has become a a privilege. Healthy, nutritious, sustainable food has become a privilege, and not a right. Right, and and the byproduct of that we will get into, but it it, it creates a place where people who lack money, oftentimes because of, of institutional shortcomings, uh, they also lack access to good, healthy healthy food. So. That's our, that's our why, is we're trying to recreate uh, a, a system that actually is built on the ideas of equity. And part of that comes from uh, transparency and connection to where your food comes from, assuming you can have access to it. Uh, and, and that's what drives our what. Uh, what we do is we're trying to build that kind of a system because if the, uh, what has become the traditional, in quotes, uh, food system that has evolved in the last 40 years, if that system doesn't evolve... Uh, which we hope we can, uh, then we're going to have to create a new one. Uh, and I think we're, we're out to do ideally the first one because it'd be nice to just have a system evolve. Uh, but at the same time, we need to be diligent evangelists about moving this moral compass towards one where food is, in fact, a right, not a privilege. So um, the relationship that we have with Jesse is is somewhat rooted in the fact that uh, I had an existential quarter-life crisis thinking that I wanted to be a farmer, uh, <laughs> Because I knew I wanted to get involved okay. in food and food systems, and I grew up in Hudson Valley, New York, close to food and farming, and I like to cook. And uh, about, I guess, seven years ago now, I, I I was transitioning in careers and wanted to get into food, and I thought, well, who am I to, to be part of the solution of this food system uh, from the outside in? I should be at it from the inside out, so I'll be a farmer. And so I went to a lot of different food and farming conferences and, and met a lot of farmers, people like Jesse. And... Uh, God bless all of them. They were super supportive and, and, and wanted, you know, this next generation. Uh, but they, they left me hanging with one lingering question, which was, do you know anything about farming? Uh, meanwhile, I was Good like, starting point. yeah, I was <laughs> dabbling with a community garden that I think I was able to harvest like half of a head of lettuce and it just died. And I was terrible at it. Um, so in taking a step back, I realized that we could build a business that plays a different role to help support people like Jesse and help tell his story and help create that connection that might not otherwise be there in terms of infrastructure and access uh, into p- places uh, like DC and uh, Northern Virginia Maryland.
2: So it's myself and Jonathan um, and then we have four interns right now um, and then we slaughter and process chickens every week from the spring to fall. Um, and so we have local high schoolers that are on our chicken processing crew. Okay. So there's about 20 of them, and they come for about five hours every week. And then we have um, um, then we have different sort of small crews of people that come several times a week to help clean eggs. Okay. Uh, and then also we have one fellow who's part-time. He does a couple days a week doing deliveries.
0: So the high school, are you paying the high school crew? Yeah, or, okay. yeah.
2: Yeah, so everyone gets paid. I mean, the interns, the interns, do as well. the interns get paid a very modest stipend. Mm-hmm. Their compensation is basically an education. Yeah. So, basically, the internship program is set as a four month session where um, I wasn't able to intern because um, we are married and had a baby already. Mm-hmm. So, I'd wanted to intern at this farm, Polyface Farm, Joel Salden's farm. And we can kind of get more into him. He's been pretty influential with me. Um, he's also in, he's in, no, he's down in Stanton, Virginia. Um, but, um, yeah, so basically like I had wanted to intern, but I couldn't. So I sort of learned by trial and error and made a bunch of mistakes and lost animals and money and along the way. Um, so I basically set up this internship program with, um, sort of my former self in mind like what kind of learning curve could I give someone else like a big jump on their learning curve Mm -hmm. you know um so you it's set up so they learn not only the stuff in the field but all the business side so every week we have a business meeting where they learn all the back-end business stuff such that when they're done they can go out and start their own business and not just know how to take care of chickens but also know how to like pitch a chef and set up a drop point and Uh, you know, get the right uh, insurance and all, you know, that kind of stuff. Do the right kind of bookkeeping. Um,
0: So is this like a movement um, or is this something that's at its very nascent stage where you guys are trying to create the philosophy around how
2: to farm? um, Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, um, so I I think there's a growing interest in it. Um, I wouldn't say I was any by any means... uh, you know, sort of at the forefront of this, you know, like I said, Joel Saladin is sort of this guru that has, inv- has sort of come up with a lot of both the farming models as well as the business models that and he sort of plowed the way for people like me to come behind and, uh, and kind of replicate what he's already done. But that being said, you know, I guess in the fact that we are sort of our, our approach to this is um, is collaborative and not so much competitive like wearing like for example with our interns like we're trying to get them launch them into their own businesses mm-hmm. um and we're just confident that basically like if we do a really good job do our farming really well take care of our customers really well be really great neighbors like there will be uh business for us mm-hmm. and that there'll be business for our interns when they start their businesses and there's business for polyface and there's business for everyone you know, at this point, 1% of America's food dollars goes to farmers like ourselves. Mm. So, you know, even if that went to 3%, that'd be a 200% growth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, you know, like I could, you know, if if one of these small subdivisions in Fauquier County only bought their meat from me, like you'd need probably three farmers for one subdivision, mm-hmm. you know. So, like, it's, um, there's just tons of room for growth. And And on one hand, you might say, like, we have an uphill battle because the grocery store is so convenient and so cheap and open twenty four hours. Uh, and on the other hand, I would say we have a downhill battle in that be- the conventional farming and food has gotten so bad and so unsensible that what we're doing is so compelling in comparison. So um, you know once you learn about how farming happens and what it how it's exploiting people, land, animals, communities, farmers, um, and yourself when you eat the food, um, it, it's like, oh, that's a no-brainer. Of course I'm not gonna do that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think it's both there. So,
0: Jesse, can you tell us um, the role that sustainable farmers can play um, in creating equitable urban food systems? Um, essentially, how can you guys address some of the issues that Tom brought up?
2: Um, I think, basically, Um, for starters, it has to exist, right? You can't have it unless it's actually raised. So, you know, as poultry of a a starting point as that is, that is a starting point. So, you know, I guess maybe I would say, you know, one, we raise it, um, and then I think we just have to think about um, how to partner with uh, the communities themselves um, because... um, yeah, um, you know, it, it, I I guess, you know, there's a whole issue of, you know, how much can uh the government do to help fund this stuff and that's just kind of a whole mess. Um, but I guess I personally, I guess I'd be more enthusiastic if I could partner, for example, just in my own case, if there was organizations in areas that needed our food, if I could partner with them and we could um you know have the communities kind of take on the ownership of the of the partnership themselves and whether that's you know having sort of like work share programs where people would get to experience the farm and come out once a month and help us clean eggs or gather eggs or you know process chickens um, but I mean essentially the, the you know I don't know just from my, my own my own perspective I would be less inclined to sort of like lobby the government for um, for it to basically just buy our food to serve to people who right. need it in the city. Like that doesn't seem like a, a plan that is either long-term sustainable or is really respectful of uh, the people themselves. So, you know, I would be most excited about if there's organizations that were like, hey, we want really healthy food, let's start a conversation, figure out how we can do that. We know, Jesse, that like you don't make a lot of money and we're not asking for like, you know, you just like hand food in, away. But maybe there's ways we can collaborate with each other such that, you know, you can take care of your family and we can start getting a stream of food of good food into these areas. Um, I would love to see that. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm the wrong person to ask in a lot of ways because I'm not of that community. Mm-hmm. So like I wouldn't want to be... One, I probably don't have great solutions because who am I to say that? And and two, um, I feel like you know, if I came up with some solution, it'd be some top-down imposed solution. When like really the community, you know, I feel like what's most, most respectful and probably most successful would be something that came out of the community itself. Well, we would um,
0: definitely through the hub like to connect you with some of those individuals in the community. Yeah, um, and that's one of the reasons why we exist. Yeah, um, that's one of the reasons why um, we do. What we do because yeah. we truly want to be a hub that connect very innovative people like yourself yeah. like tom with people who um also have ideas and who are definitely most impacted by the problems and yeah. also
1: educating the public about these issues and that is a good segue to why should the lis- listeners even care about sustainable farming practices
2: yeah yeah um yeah so i guess you know kind of some, some things i was saying before um i think it's just very immediately important for a person to think about food because if you think about what most affects your health, mm-hmm. you know, you might think about uh, exercise, you might think about stress and you think about food mm-hmm. and food is something you're actually like putting into your body. So even of those three things, I would say the lion's share on, on determining someone's health is what they're actually putting in their body that becomes part of their body. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in terms of thinking about you know no one likes to be sick Mm -hmm. people want to be around for their grandchildren you know these are like really fundamental goods um so those are really motivating i think um and then also just in terms of it's um it's always obviously a balancing act in terms of a family budget you know where are you going to spend your money um and uh you know I should never be allowed this power. Mm-hmm. But if I if I were to be able to go into people's family budgets and sort of move numbers around, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to be able to do that um, because I think like, you know, forms of entertainment are great. Um, you know, luxury goods are nice. But kind of who cares about those things when, you know, you have cancer mm-hmm. or when you can't go to work because you're sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think like just... Uh, um, it, uh, when it comes down to it, I really think that should move up on the prior priority list mm-hmm. in people's family budget. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, like some people don't have much leeway at all in their family budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, you know, that's its own issue, but there's a lot of us who spend money on entertainment and luxury goods, mm-hmm. and you might not even call them those things, but if you really looked hard and long, you would say, oh, I don't really have to have that. And maybe I should spend that on a well-raised egg rather than a soda or a, rather than a, You know, whatever. Um, So, um, yeah. So, I guess, you know, in terms of back to the question of the motivation. So, um, there's that. And then there's just sort of um, wanting to live like a morally satisfying life, you know, where you are considering the people... That um, the people and things that you're affecting. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, one is your are and your family's health. The other is doing right by others. Right. So, you know, I think it's safe to say we all want to sort of try and be the best people we can be. And um, and just when you learn about the food business, you learn about the things you're affecting, uh, even though you don't necessarily always realize it. And so to really consider those people and those those animals, the land, the the farm workers. Um, and think about uh, trying not to exploit them would would be, I think, a uh, good motivation for a lot of people. Uh, that's So a big thing for us in terms of approximating nature is constantly moving animals. That's what happens in nature. And you know, animals know, like, if they're going to go to the bathroom and eat and sleep over here, like, why would they want to stay there and muck around in that when all the fresh, clean grass is over here? So... Um, so we're going to approximate nature by moving animals constantly and by not having a monoculture. So you, know, you can see our pasture is all kinds of different grasses and plants. And then we have uh, sort of a non-monoculture in terms of multi- multiple species rotating around the pasture and, and all the benefit they do for each other.
0: And it also seems like you have a diversified product offering.
2: Yeah. So um, yeah. it must
0: be good for business.
2: Yeah, that's right. So that gives a customer all the more reason, like, if I just had eggs and chicken, like, ah, uh, well, I also want a steak and I want some pork chops and uh, I'll, go, I'll go to the grocery store, you know? Whereas if I can help, you know, lower that convenience barrier a little bit, you know, then, all the better reason to justify customer driving here rather than the strip mall to patronize the
1: Cool, so Tom, this question is for you. Um, my niece lives in New York City and she, she's down here visiting me this, this weekend and we were talking about her food justice class that she's taking in camp. It seems like the kids are getting in on the movement, the, the, the adults need to step their game up. But we <laughs> talked about you know, money and wealth and eating good food. It's, it's kind of like a rich people's thing. So can you help us change that stigma? Tell us why there is that stigma.
3: Yeah, um, that's a fantastic question because that really gets at the heart of how is or why is perhaps our food system unjust, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you almost have to go back to, well, is, is capitalism working, mm-hmm. right? And and what is the history of that and who has wealth in this country and why do some have it and others don't? Um, one of the conversations that happened outside that, that will likely get in, interwoven into the podcast later is, Jesse was talking about this idea of exploiting resources, and that 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 is seen, I think, in the food system very tangibly of, of exploiting resources uh, around industrial food systems where people are being exploited, where our health, our global health, our public health is being exploited, our animals, our water, our air, our planet as a whole are all being exploited. And these are not alone in the food system but it's extremely tangible in the food system right if, if capitalism is broken in the sense that we are incredibly driven by profit because profit equals power mm-hmm. uh, why is that paradigm happening mm-hmm. and and we have a food system such that the price does not accurately represent the true costs mm-hmm. that go into it uh, but if we started to measure costs differently like the positive impacts on our planet and our people that jesse is having and perhaps uh, more, more importantly, or at least at a bigger scale, the negative costs in industrial agriculture has on our people, not just the farm labor, but people in low-income communities who have significantly higher rates of diabetes and obesity and those very real costs on health care. If we start talking honestly about the, the, the problems with our food system, we have to also talk very honestly about historic, the history of racism and classism and sexism in this country because it's those institutional foundations that simply perpetuate what's happening in food. So, so to come back me. around, I think we part of the reason I am I am trying to work on food is because if we we can get this a little bit more right, it means that we're taking some of these other issues and also making them a little bit more right.
1: To the customer, yeah. um, you see, like starting with Chipotle. Chipotle yeah. is pretty transparent about their food, cage free chicken, yeah. and uh, no antibiotics, no hormones, right. uh, as opposed to a Taco Bell. Why is it right. so important for cus- um, consumers to know where their food is coming from?
2: Well, I guess, for, you know, just in that, um, let's, just, let's just say a customer is interested in doing the right thing mm-hmm. and interested in their own health. If you start with that, then there's there you go. So basically, like, if you're interested in your own health, you know, healthy animals make healthy food. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you know, do the lab work and I can show you a breakdown of a pasture-raised egg versus a caged egg mm-hmm. and how the nutrients are, like, just off the charts different. Mm-hmm. But also, I kind of feel like it's a no-brainer that, like, if the animal only stays alive because stays alive because you're given antibiotics, mm-hmm. then that's not going to make the healthiest meat or egg for you. Um, so, one, just your own interest of taking care of yourself and your family, you know, that would be a good, a strong motivation for a lot of people. And then also, two, the whole point of just trying to do right by others and the world around us. So, like, you know, the people that you walk around and and interact with generally, you don't generally think, like, they're willing to sort of, like, just step on someone else or step on someone, something else to, to get a, something a little bit cheaper, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, the problem is that like agriculture is so removed, most people, you know, wouldn't want to like, all right, you mean if I kick this farmer, I'll get it for 10 cents cheaper per pound. All right, kick him and I'll take it for 10 cents cheaper, you know, right. because it's not as, as, as proximate. So the problem is food is so removed from people eating it. They don't realize they're kicking that farmer. They're kicking that illegal alien. They're kicking the Chesapeake Bay. They're right. kicking, you know, um, When, when the
1: domino effect.
2: Yeah, when they're doing it, it, it's just removed. So it's like, oh, sure, I'll, you know, great, it's on sale, I'll take it. Um, So it's part of just education, learning, like, um, you know, what is entailed in cheap food. Mm -hmm. Cheap food entails exploitation. Mm -hmm. So just wanting to do right by the people. Uh, people and animals and land and the future generations have to deal with the messes we leave and all that kind of stuff.
0: Um, what's missing specifically in Ward 7 and 8 in Washington, D.C.? And for those of you who aren't familiar with Ward 7 and 8, um, Ward 7 and 8 um, are located in D.C. They're the poorest wars. The wars with the highest um, percentage of African Americans, but also the highest percentage of unemployment and poverty. Um, so, yeah, and, and there's a lot of other socioeconomic factors, um, that are, you know, problems or challenges in war seven and eight. So speaking specifically about that neighborhood or that region of, um, of, um, our, our metropolitan area, what's missing? Well, you know, what, what needs to happen for everyone that lives in those communities to have access to fresh and affordable foods?
3: Yeah, it's, um, I ask myself that all the time, every day. It's what drives, I think what, what many of us do here, um, what specifically? Uh, there is a, a book that I like called Fair Food by an author named O'Ron Hesterman. And the second chapter of the book, uh, the title is uh, The Problem Is. And then the next two pages is just a list of bullet points. Of here's mm. the problem, <laughs> right? It's money in politics. It's it's a disingenuous conversation about racism. It's uh, soda. It's it's a misrecognition of what sugar does to our bodies. It's corporate power. It's It's soda machines in schools. It's etc 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 on the supply side it would be gmos it would be cafos it would be animal husbandry a lack thereof it would be uh labor laws that people don't know about about the way that we bring in migrant labor that is basically modern day slavery in farms in california and florida and on and on and on so all of those things uh perpetuate themselves and can be very uh removed and, and yet the symptoms that we see is it comes right at your question Ward seven and ward eight, where people don't have access to good healthy food that makes them, that uh, nourishes their minds, their bodies and their souls. Why don't they have access to it and how do we fix that? Well, uh, I think it's conversations like this. I think to Jan your point about education uh, in a 12 year old class, that that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Getting kids involved in the conversation around how food makes them feel and why that's important.
1: Cause they bring it back home to the parent and they get right. to educate their parents so the cycle continues. Exactly.
3: Yeah. And uh, I think about community leaders like Ronnie Webb, who's making kale cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's working in Ward 7, Ward 8, Ward 5, and he brings in uh, local artists, local musicians, mm-hmm. and we will set up a community garden. Uh, and, and, and suddenly gardening and fo- farming and being healthy is, is really cool. So there's a cultural shift that needs to happen there. So Jesse,
1: you are cool. You are very cool.
3: <laughs> and once we get that cultural shift, then it's, well, how do we get the food into right. these communities? And how do we get it in there at a price point that makes sense? And then that right. starts to get at some of the financial levers that we need to be talking about around institutional procurement, school procurement, which starts to come around to what Jesse was alluding to, of what is the role of the government here. Mm-hmm. But all of these things are pieces of a puzzle that need to happen sort of synergistically to create a new food system that works for everybody.
1: And you've mentioned a couple of P's. What does four P stand for?
3: Yeah, uh, thanks. So um, the, the first three P's are, are something that I think are indicative of perhaps the evolution of, of capitalism, maybe going in a direction that has a glimmer of hope. And it's this idea of the triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit. Uh, and you'll hear a lot of corporations talking about that idea, but oftentimes it is exactly that. It's talk. Uh, it doesn't always drive their decision-making uh, and certainly doesn't drive their stock price. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if we lived in a world where we measured those three things equally on balance sheets? And yeah, that kind of comes back to one of the things we were talking about. So, so the four P's uh, that is purpose, and that is our, our driving P is purpose. People, planet, and profit, uh, because the purpose of our company is to measure those three things as equally as possible, and that's what drives our decisions.
1: Awesome. So let's talk about the future. Um, what do? You, what is the future of sustainable farming?
3: Um,
2: <clears throat> well, I guess, you know, um, I hope that uh, us farmers can continue to do things uh, in a way that benefits the land and the animals and the people uh, better. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, you could kind of think of the last fifty years of conventional farming was lots of hardworking, smart people um, going working hard in a certain paradigm, and that paradigm, you know, I think has flaws in that it doesn't properly respect biology and how nature works. So, what if we put all that energy and mind power and land grant colleges and all that stuff into thinking about how we can more uh, efficiently and healthfully um, do what we're doing. I'm sure there's ways that, you know, we can do a much better job of what we're doing. So, you know, that's a really fun part about farming is, um, nature is so complex and conventional farming would want to tell you that it's not, it's very simple. It's, you know, potassium, nitrogen, and phosphorus. Um, and it's, you know, growing these protein, protein clumps called chickens and stuff like that. Um, but, um, it's really not, it's, it's very complex. And it's very particular to your actual situation. So you know, I know how much rain it takes for that bottom field to get too boggy to put cows down there, mm-hmm. and that's going to be different than my my the neighboring farm. So there's a certain like intimacy with the land and your own particular context. Um, so all those kinds of things make farming really fun and interesting because you can always do things better. You can always have a more intimate knowledge of your context to properly um uh dance with it essentially so that's you know that's um that's one thing and then on the other side um you know i hope that myself and other farmers like myself can just keep working away at educating people about why this is a good thing so more people would value it and appreciate it and come to have an understanding so they can you know sympathize with you know for example. Um, that you know, be great for more people to understand like why we don't have fresh chicken in the winter, because it's not good for the pasture or the birds to be out there in the winter. Oh, interesting. And if you're getting fresh chicken in the winter, that's me around here. That means it's either, you know, probably not. But let's say it's being shipped from some place that has growing pasture in the winter, or it's being raised in a warehouse. Uh, neither, of which is great. So that's why you should buy frozen chicken from us in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so and that's just a little thing. Like maybe more people would understand little dynamics like that. Um, And then, of course, on the other side, you know, we farmers can think of better ways to fit into the niches of our customers. So, you know, I'm sure there's things like these conversations we're talking about that, like, you know, I can start talking with uh, community, the communities in Ward 7 and 8 and think about clever ways that we can collaborate and lower the threshold for how to get, you know, business and food flowing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sure there's ways we can improve in terms of how we meet customers halfway um and um yeah and then just you know future generations I hope that you know my children and other people of younger generations than myself will be inspired by things we're doing here and other farmers like ourselves and there'll be both a growing demand as well as supply of what we're doing.
1: Sounds good and for Tom you got some exciting news here at 4P you've just been ex- in, um, accepted into a, a program you want to tell us a little bit about it?
3: yeah sure it's uh it's called food future it's uh, an accelerator program based out of New York. Evan is here he's going to be one of our advisors among many others and it's a uh, a program that does exactly what it sounds like it's going to accelerate the the work that we're doing uh, because it's good, but it could be a hell of a lot better uh, and we need help. We need experts, we need advisors uh, we need people around me that are much smarter than I am and uh, can help expand uh, not only the amount of food we're moving around on behalf of people like Jesse uh but do it better do it more efficiently and, and hopefully be able to do it in a way that uh to jesse's point we, we can help create demand so that the supply and the next generation of farms can enter into that vacuum and say that there's a business here i'm, I'm an entrepreneur i'm a half artist half scientist and i can bring those two skills together and mm-hmm. and be part of that that growing demand of people that care
0: awesome. well we're honored to have you guys on um this second um episode Um, our second half of the Everybody's podcast. Um, Before we wrap it up completely, um, Jesse and Tom, I'm starting with Jesse. Can you just tell our listeners where they can find you and your products and learn more about what you guys are up to?
2: Sure. So we're in Warrington, Virginia, which is my hometown. We're 50 miles southwest of DC. And we do delivery drop sites into DC and around DC. And you can look up how to order that and uh, meet up for that um, on our website, which is wiffletreefarmva.com. That's w-h-i-f-f-l-e-t-r-e-e-v-a.com. Um, um, and um, yeah, and then you can also find us on social media platforms um, and get our email list so you'll get our newsletter and stay in the loop that way. And um, I understand that, you know, maybe for people that are in, you know, the far reaches of Northern Virginia and in D.C. and Maryland, You know, might not have the time or the occasion to come out here on a regular basis, but we also try and throw some fun events to give people a good reason to come out, uh, um, at least on an annual basis and have a good time and see the animals and see us doing our, our, see us, our farming in action um, and, um, and enjoy the beauty that, you know, we get to work in. And Jesse, we're gonna
1: we're gonna have we have some friends in Ward Seven, so we're gonna work on something to bring you and the chickens out to the project. Absolutely great, Great. and you know just have some fun, but also get people to understand what you're doing here. You know, and Ward Seven and Eight is east of the Anacostia River, so it's a lot of land there, and people don't go over there that often. And there's a lot of rich things going on in uh, Ward Seven and Eight. Yeah,
2: great. I'd love
0: to be part of that. And I also want to just for um, this area. It's absolutely beautiful out here. Um, it's a very hot and sticky day, but it's, it was well worth the drive. Yep. Um, and thank you again, Jesse, for yeah. the tour.
2: Well, thank you
3: very much. I really appreciate talking with you all.
0: No problem. Now, Tom, where can our listeners find you?
3: Yeah, so we're uh, website's a good place to start, uh, www.4pfoods.com. Again, that's the number four, P is in purpose, foods is plural, .com. Uh, There's a great tab there for our farmers. If you all want to see Jesse and meet him, obviously go to his website, but if you want some more photos of the farm, uh, we've got a whole bio on him. Uh, And then we're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at 4pfoods.com. Trying to figure out Periscope, so we will be there maybe some days <laughs> too. I meant to Periscope a little bit today, but I don't know what I'm doing with it. But uh, you can find us there and and in person uh, at at Impact Hub DC. I'm a member of the community there, and it's it's a wonderful place for entrepreneurs and community leaders and organizational leaders to to come together to have a place in downtown DC uh, to work not just on growing our respective businesses and organizations, but work on growing our collective impact on all of these issues. Awesome. So come visit us there. Yeah. Everybody
0: eats. Hubcast is brought to you by Impact Hub DC. As Tom said, Impact Hub DC is a marketplace for leading global innovators to connect with resources they need to accelerate their impact. Visit us at washington.impacthub.net to learn more about how to be a part of our community. Um, and thank you Jen, thank you Jesse. thank you Tom. Thanks, Until next time, everybody be peaceful.